Hello there, Caleb here. It has been a while since we've done a bonus episode, but since Carly is busy speaking to the legislature about uh, ending abortion in her city, making sure it's a sanctuary city for uh, the unborn, we thought it would be a good time to release some bonus episodes we've had on the backlog for a little while since Carly's not free on Mondays. For She wasn't free last week and this week. And of course, I was uh, silly and I didn't post anything last week because I was very busy. But uh, we're going to have a couple of bonus episodes for you guys to enjoy. And the first one here is um, the continuation of the Ten Commandments series we did in our youth group uh, last year. And it's going to be my mom presenting Honor Your Father and Mother. Here we go. All right, so why don't we, uh, we're going to open up with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we uh, just want to thank you for this time. And Father, um, uh, as we just look at your commandment on honoring our parents, Father, we just pray that um, whatever is honoring to you and in my words, Father, that that will be that which is retained and that your word in you would be glorified in everything that is said and done here. In dealer Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so you guys have been talking about um, the Ten Commandments. And I got you guys all these little sheets again, like I did at Phantom Ranch. Because when I am in the church service, I like to either doodle or I, like I'm drawing smiley faces like all the time. Just because it helps me to concentrate on what is being preached if I'm doodling. It just, if that's just the way I'm geared. So... If it's, if it's, um, and it also helps you to retain, and I know it helps me to retain better to take notes. So, let's look at Exodus 20, 12. And I'm going to have you guys be reading some scripture. So, I hope some of you guys will volunteer for that. I get to open up my new Bible and see it in there. It's so awesome. Okay, Exodus 20, 12. Who would like, oh, Exodus is in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Yeah, very good. You guys get stars today. All right, tw- uh, 20, 12. Chandler, want to read it? Sure. Okay. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land, uh, in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Sure. Very good. All right, so what was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Number one, they were the will and way of God delivered to Moses to govern the children of Israel. Again, they were the will and way of God, will, were and way of God delivered to Moses to govern the children of Israel once they had left Egypt and were on their way to the land that God had promised them. The land. So we're away <coughs> land. Number two, the first four commandments, which you guys have already been talking about, are verses that define our relationship to God. So the first four talk about your relationship, our relationship to God. The next five are commandments that define our social relationship with others. So the first four commandments are verses that define our relationship to God. The next five are commandments that define our social relationship with others. Number three, out of, and it should have been the ten commandments, out of blank, it is out of the ten commandments, only this particular verse identifies what will happen if you choose to keep this commandment. Again, out of, ten, of, out of the Ten Commandments, only this particular verse identifies what will happen if you choose to keep this commandment. So what did that verse say will happen if you keep this commandment? What did it say? Anybody remember? It says, honor your mother and your father, because what will happen if you do? You, you will what? You will live a long life. Okay, so... Let's talk about the context of this. So does it mean that um, 
you are going to live a long life. Is this a promise, in other words? Is this a promise by God that says, you're going to live a long life, Chase, because you honor your parents? True or not true? Is that a promise that's in the Bible? Yes or no? No. No. Okay. So one of the most important things that Pastor Sean taught us when we did Bible studies with him was context is king. Remember that. Whenever you look at scripture, context is king. So you always have to look at why it was written, what was going on during that time. So let's put on our thinking caps. I know school's not till tomorrow, but... What, where, what was going on when the Ten Commandments were written? What was going on? Where were they? They're in the desert, right? For how many years? Forty. Forty, okay. And so why do you think God would think it was important for the little Israelite children or youth to honor their parents during that time? What would be honoring to your parents? Do you think? What do you think would be honoring your parents if you're in the wilderness? Obeying. Obeying, yeah, ding, ding, ding. Okay, so again, use your creativity. What do you think's going on in the wilderness when they're out there? What could be danger? Wild animals. Wild animals, yes. I kept envisioning those camels, you know, you know, the camel, you know, knocks them down or something because they're not paying attention. What else? The what? The elements. the elements. They could fall off a cliff. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could go on, and that's why it was so important for them to be honoring or obeying their parents. So... God adds a provision in the verse by saying that if you do this, look at what will happen. And we talked about, logically, what was going on with the Israelites. So, you have to know what honoring means. The Hebrew word that we translate as honor has several connotations and meanings. The three most common are esteem, model, and obey. Esteem, model, and obey. So those are the three most common Hebrew words translated from honor, is to esteem, model, and obey. So looking at each of these, to esteem is another word for respect. Esteem also can be defined as a whole lot of respect with a pinch of fear. When we are living in our parents' home, we are under their rule and to respect them is something that God is saying in his word that he wants us to do. Now, I say that because if you ask my boys, or if you ask Jared Zollner, he will say this right up front to you. He'll say, Christy, I love you, but I respect you a lot more because I'm a little afraid of you. And my boys would probably say the same thing. And in all honesty, I'm okay with that. Do you know why I'd rather have someone respect me than love me? It's because I'd rather that you'd listened to me because what I'm speaking to you, I speak to you because I care about you. And, um, you know, I met with someone this last summer, and one of the things I said to that youth is this. I don't care about anything else in your life except that you know Jesus Christ. I mean, yes, I love you, and I'll try to be there for you and support you whenever is going on in your life, but the most important thing to me is that you know Jesus Christ. The most important thing to me with my sons is that they know Jesus Christ. I don't care if they make $30,000 a year when they get older or $100,000 a year. What I care about is if they love and honor Jesus Christ. That's important to me. All right, so the second word was honor means to model. Whether we like it or not, we are learning from our parents. So, raise of hand. How many of you have already said, when I grow up, 
I'm not going to treat my kids or do this or do that the way your parents did, right? Yeah, look at Chase raised his hand, Connor raised his hand. See, it's universal. There are things that each of us has that we see our parents do that we are like, I am not going to do that to my kids. I do not like that. We say it, but unless we make a concentrated effort to change what we didn't like, we will repeat it. We will get into this more later, but I want you all to skim down to the last line of your paper where I gave you another one of my little Christie's quote for life. When you know better, do better. I had a phone call from someone uh, many years ago who said to me, who grew up in a very abusive situation, mom was a closet alcoholic. They didn't know it until they were adults. Father was manipulative and not a very nice man. And uh, she said to me, she had five kids, and she said, am I more responsible in how I raise my kids or less because of what I went through? And this is exactly what I said to her. When you know better, you need to do better. So you know better, so you need to do better by your kids. Okay, lastly, honor means to obey. Again, remember that I'm saying all of this to you who have parents that do not use this verse in which to make you blindly obey them. As you get older as teens, you should be shaping and forming your own opinions and thoughts. Those are good things, and they are healthy. Um, so, I say this to you who, okay, well, I'll just go on with this thought. Why should you obey your parents? When we fail to teach our children obedience at home, we are setting them up for failure and hard knocks in the streets. If a child refuses to listen to a parent at home, then he is not going to listen to a teacher in school. She is not going to listen to the principal. He is not going to listen to a coach, a pastor, a doctor, policeman, lawyer, or even judge. Let's see. Um, speaking of my quotes for life, I have three things that I say all the time to my boys. I have been known to shout across the movie theater and say, this is what I'm talking about in the middle of a movie, or pause as we're watching something. The first thing I say to the boys all the time is, marry a believer, someone who loves the Lord even more than you do. The second, I'm sorry to say, ladies, this is what I say to them, no high-maintenance women allowed. What do I mean by that? Is women who are, everything has to be perfect, and their lives have to be perfect, and everything, you know, just no high maintenance, okay? No high maintenance, that's what I say to them. Of course, you know, they have their own opinions, and what they do, this is just my suggestions. And three, I say, I want to enjoy my grandkids. So do not allow them to talk back to you, to hit you, kick you, or otherwise disrespect you. There are a lot of people who decide there are things they will allow with their kids, and they feel that they will not wage war over a kid doing that. Trust me, this is one thing you will want to wage a war on. For exactly the reasons above, you are setting your kids up for failure if you don't discipline them. If they do not respect you, you have set them up for failure. So, having said all of this, we're going to come to some really tough stuff. But first, what I'm going to talk to you about is this. I believe I know most of your guys' parents, not all of your parents. And I would like to say that I believe probably the great majority of your parents are good parents who actually really do love you. And even the best parent in the world we make mistakes, and that's the way life is. And why is that? Because we're imperfect, and we make mistakes, and we need to ask you forgiveness because we will make mistakes. I say that to you, but I also want to say that I know 
that in over 30 years of youth ministry, what we have seen is a lot of abusive situations with parents. Matter of fact, the word obey, sometimes we've had parents use that in a way that is abusive, that they say to us when their kid is acting up and we have to go in and we meet with the parents and, and they say to us, well, they need to obey me. And the way they're saying it is a manipulating, controlling, abusive way. And so I'm saying all of this um, because I know that there are a great majority, not majority, but there are a lot of youth that have really, really hard home situations. And even if you don't, you still have things that when you get older, you're going to have to learn to forgive with your parents. So this is where we're at, which is number five. What if my parent has abused me? How can I show them honor? The rest of the time, that's what we're going to be focusing on, on situations of what is honoring and what is not, how hard situations um, and how we deal with them. I love to read, as those of you who know me know, uh, I found this for 50 cents this fall at the library, this book. And it is a phenomenal book about a man named Robert Mitchell who um, was called Castaway Kid. He grew up in a suburb of Illinois. And he was three years old. And his, his mother, who had some substance abuse issues and alcohol abuse and oh, substance, that's the same thing, and probably some mental health issues. He was three years old, and she took him to a boy's home, and she said, Robbie, go over there and play with the toys. He went over and played, and when he turned around, his mom was gone. She left him there. And his father was in a, like, um, I don't know what, how they would have, probably they would have called it insane asylum back then. Um, he had tried to kill himself, but didn't succeed. And so he was never going to be normal. And so he was totally out of the picture, could not help him in any way. And this is what happened to this young man. So all his life, um, he was trying to figure out uh, about his relationship with God, if he wanted one, and, and he finally ended up giving his life to Christ. But he still had all the baggage from the past of being left. He had a grandmother who wanted to raise him, but the mother would not allow him to and allow her to. So this is how he came to grips with what had happened to him in his life. And he was just talking about not having a place to call home. Even the home was no longer my home. That harsh real realization was ripping me apart. Fearing the other bus riders would think I was crazy, I clamped my jaw tight and kept my storm inside. Filled with fury, I hurled my thoughts at God. Why couldn't you have given me a place to live? I didn't want an Atlanta mansion. I would have been happy with four rooms, a little yard, and a dog. Nothing fancy. I just wanted a home with a mom and a dad. I didn't care whether we had any money. I just wanted a home. Why, God? Why this life? What did I do to deserve it? I waited a few moments. Nothing. Why don't you answer me, I screamed. Silence. Are you listening to me? I roared in silent rage. Silence. Unresponsive silence, as if I had been buried alive. I stared out the window as the Illinois farmland flashed by. I'll never be able to go home, will I? Despite his grandmother's love, her apartment wasn't home. Neither was Atlanta, even though Uncle Arnold and Aunt Alice let me visit. Wherever I went, I felt like a guest. Home is where you can go without being a guest. Emotional waves kept crashing over me like a dangerous surf. 
After minutes of inner screaming, I was too exhausted to think. Then as the bus hummed down the interstate, a thought floated unexpectedly came into my mind. Its entry, it was soft as a feather and I almost missed it. Call me father, Rob. Call me home. From deep within came my angry response. You expect me to be satisfied with that? That doesn't explain things. No way does that kiss away the scars of the last 15 years and it doesn't help now. Do you hear me? I don't have a home. I won't ever sleep in my childhood bedroom. I won't be able to bring my wife to stay in the house I grew up in. My children won't be able to play with their grandmother and grandfather. If I'm hurt, broke, or in trouble, I can't look to home for help. Do you understand me? I don't have a home. If God had a reply, my anger kept it from getting through, but I was too tired to keep up the defenses for long. Finally, I sensed the voice again. It was gentle but firm, like a loving command. Call me home, Rob. Just call me home. I sat in exhausted silence. I'd, I'd asked to be changed, hadn't I? It had been happening slowly. And now, just as I am, the God of the universe was offering to adopt me. Me. No waiting period, no trial foster home visits, no strings attached. I didn't even have to become a better person first. He wanted to adopt me, a boy whose heart was covered with childhood dirt and wounds. As the bus made its way down the dark highway, I responded, okay, God, you've got a deal. I will call you father, and I will call you home. <clears throat> and that's just the beginning of his, I mean, that's just halfway through his story. The rest of the story is about how he ended up, you know, meeting the woman that he married. Um, and there's three chapters on how he learned to forgive his parents. So, start number six. Start with the premise of to forgive our parents sometimes does not mean we can stay in a relationship with them God does not ever call someone to stay in an abusive situation. So we start with the premise of to forgive our parents sometimes does not mean we can stay in a relationship with them. God does not ever call someone to stay in an abusive relationship. I say that because as a Christian, so many of us believe, and I used to believe this as a, as a Christian when I was much younger, I used to believe that to forgive meant I was just supposed to forget what had been done to me and I was just supposed to be a doormat and I was just supposed to let a relationship come back in even if it wasn't healthy for me. God doesn't ever call us to be in an abusive relationship. Number eight, or we're at seven, sorry. There comes a time when you need to step out from under your parents' authority, especially in unsafe circumstances or situations where you are being led into what is dishonoring to God. When you are in your parents' home, you know, I always say to the kids' camp counselors, the junior counselors or young senior counselors, I say, do you know what is wrong and right? And they're like, yep, okay, so raise your right hand. Okay, unless a senior counselor is telling you to do something that is immoral, your answer is, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Same kind of connotation for your home. If your parent is telling you to do something and you're like, and you're digging your heels in and you know that it's honoring to do it, unless they're being abusive to you in any, any way, shape, or form, your answer should be, I'm going to honor them and I'm going to respect them. Is that hard? Yep, because our hardest relationships are the ones that are in our home. And we can all attest to that and we understand that. Number eight, you can honor your parents and even forgive them for prior hurt without subjecting yourself to to their authority. 
so you can forgive them for prior hurt without subjecting yourself to their authority. I have another little story that I want to read to you about what it means to forgive. This book is actually really good. Forgiving what you will never forget. There are, unfortunately, kids in our youth group, and I always call all the youth kids, so it's not a, I'm not demeaning you by saying that you're all my kids. I call the ones I had 30 years ago my kids. Um, we have kids in our youth group, and maybe some of you feel like you've been emotionally or spiritually or physically or sexually hurt in your home. So how do you handle that? Well, first of all, I say today is the day to reach out and to share, and, and we can get you some help. But I wanted to share the story of what it means to forgive and yet not forget. This is a story about a man named John from Lebanon. I had the opportunity to teach for a week on forgiveness in an addictive behavior counseling school in Amsterdam, Holland. The school is part of the educational ministry of Youth with a Mission. It's usually a privilege to teach in the school, partially because the students are an inter international group from all over the world. During my free time one afternoon, a young man from Lebanon, we'll call him John, shared his story with me. When John was 20, a man in his village falsely charged John with a crime. The accuser lied and got several of his friends to lie. The law of the desert was that a matter is established by the word of two or three witnesses. And since no one could refute the line, John was sentenced to 20 years in prison. As his accuser started to leave the court after sentencing, John looked at him and said, I may be going to prison, but I have three brothers who aren't. <laughs> I'd probably say the same thing. The man heard him, but hurried out of the court, having accomplished what he had set out to do for whatever reason. At the beginning of what had been expected to be the very best years of his life, John started serving his sentence. There wasn't much to do in prison, so anything was a welcome diversion. A group of Bible college students came in once a week to hold services. John wasn't a believer, but he started attending the services and soon gave his heart and life to the Lord Jesus. He then joined some of the other inmates in a small discipleship group led by the students during the week for those who had made commitments to the Lord. It didn't take long for, this, for the issue of forgiveness to be raised as part of obedience and discipleship. John was adamant, I'll never forgive that man. How can I after what he's done to me? Of course, the students pointed to the parable in Matthew 18 and other passages in the New Testament where it made, where it made very clear that forgiving is not an option for the believer. It took a while for John to understand his need to forgive his accuser in the context of Jesus' forgiveness of him. Finally, John could see the point. Although at first he was resistant, he began to pro the process and knew that at some point in time he would need to forgive his accuser. Then John answered the unasked question that was on my mind. He appeared to be in his early 30s, and he was not in prison. Obviously, he had not served out his 20-year term. In our country, we do not get out of prison early for any reason. But at the five-year mark of my prison term, I was suddenly released, he explained. To this day, I don't know why. I checked to make sure it wasn't some mistake and then, and then didn't check beyond that as I didn't want to make any waves. After being released, John started attending the same Bible school that had sent the students to work in the prison. At the same time, he continued to work through his understanding of forgiveness until he was able to, to forgive from his heart. The man who had wronged him. Notice that it took him a while. Forgiveness takes a while. As he continued to talk with students and faculty about what had happened to him, it seemed to him that God was telling him he needed to go to the man and tell him that he had forgiven him. When he brought this up to the students and faculty with whom he continued to meet, their reaction was quick. Absolutely not, John. That man is dangerous and you have no need to go and tell him. But God to continued to lay it on his heart that he needed to go and tell the man. He finally convinced the others that this was from the Lord and that he needed to do this. So, no one, so one Saturday morning, a group of students and teachers gathered around John at the bus station and prayed for him before he boarded the bus to go back to the village. When he got off the bus, 
No one in his village knew he had been released from prison. After a sentencing, his family had moved away in disgrace. Now everybody, everyone thought John had somehow escaped and was here to exact revenge from the man who had wronged him. Excitement in the village increased as John headed for the man's house. When the man's wife finally answered his knock on the door, she informed John that her husband wasn't there. John simply replied, fine, I'll come back later. Around supper time, John returned. This time after John knocked several times, the man came to the door and cracked it open just a little. He was obviously quite nervous, not knowing why John was there. What do you want? he asked. I came to tell you, John responded, that while I was in prison, I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I became a Christian. And as part of my becoming a Christian, God forgave me for every wrong thing I had ever done in my life. And because I had been forgiven, I was able to forgive you. There was a moment of silence as John's words started to sink in. And the man threw open the door and said, That's wonderful, John. Come and eat with us. No, thank you, John responded. I really have no desire to eat with you. I just came to tell you that I've forgiven you. And with that, John turned and walked back to the bus station, got on the bus, and headed back to school in Beirut. As John and I talked, I was excited. He and his fellow students had gotten it right. Forgiveness must take place but reconciliation is an option. John would have been foolish to have dinner with that man who was dangerous and who had already stolen five years from John's life. Who knows what lies he may, might have created if John had sat with him at dinner. We must forgive, but reconciliation is not always wise. Have we done number nine? No. Okay. Number nine. You can start the road of forgiveness by first, oh, sorry, number nine. In a truly toxic environment where you are the prey, honor your parents by ending the cycle of abuse. You say, today is the day when you get out of your parents' home if you have experienced abuse. And you say, I know better. I'm a believer, and I'm going to do better in my life. And you say, today is the day I end that cycle. And there's no greater way to honor your parents who have been abusive by ending that cycle. Number 10, you can start the road of forgiveness by first understanding that your parent is an inaccurate, inaccurate reflection of your Heavenly Father. The thought process goes something like this. If my dad was distant, God is distant. If my mom was always waiting to smack me with the ruler, God must be the same way. That's how we often have problems. We have God problems because we have parent problems. And it's because we have an inaccurate view of God because of our parents. On the contrary, the Bible teaches us that God desires to lead us into eternal joy and that he desires to give us good gifts. He is called the father to the fatherless and the defender of the weak. The only way that you can be free from a distant, borderline abusive parent, free enough to honor them, is by drawing your joy and identity from the deep well of the love that your heavenly father has for you. He like John talked about, or Rob talked about, is your parent. He is your home. I'll tell you a little story of my life, because I haven't shared any about that <clears throat> right now. But um, when I grew up, my father has, my father has been gone for maybe 22 years, uh, November 17th, and my father passed away. And I always... When I was young, a, a young youth, you know, when I was, you know, birth through junior high, I had a tumultuous relationship with my father. Um, I remember being four years old, and I decided I was going to shave my legs like I saw my older siblings do, or my mom, I don't know which one, I was the youngest of four. And I came out in the kitchen and my legs were just all bloody. And my dad was there talking to my next door neighbor. And here I am, all bloody, 
from trying to shave. And my dad got angry and he spanked me. Um, and then recently I've been reading through all my diaries that I've kept from my whole life. And I read an entry in my diary and I want you to know I have no memory of this. But I read in the entry that as I was sitting eating supper that my dad backhanded me across the face. And I have no memory of that. But I know that my life with my dad, um, I struggled with him until I gave my life to the Lord. And when I gave my life to the Lord, one of the things I, I understood as I started to pray for my dad and started to really love my dad with the love that could only come from Christ was I realized my dad lost his dad when he was nine years old. And my dad had no, no father then when he was nine, and he didn't know how to be a dad. And when we were little kids, he really didn't, <laughs> he really didn't have any clue. I mean, he used to, when, if he had to change our diaper, he literally would put like a clothespin on his nose and run in and change our diaper, and he'd be like gagging and throwing up, and then he, you know, he just didn't understand. But when I came to know Jesus, I started to pray to see my dad through God's eyes instead of my own. And I'll tell you that throughout my high school years and then up until the point where my dad died, my, I was really close to my dad. I remember one time um, Mike and I were, we were fighting about something. I don't remember whatever it was. And, and Mike said something to my dad about um, we were fighting or something. And, and uh, <laughs> my dad looked at me and said, I'd take her back in a heartbeat. Um, I'll never forget that because it was like my dad saying, that's my girl. And I was, I was his girl. Um, I say that because I know that sometimes our relationships with one or other of our parents can be really hard. But until I started being able to see my dad through my Heavenly Father's eyes, that's when my relationship with my dad changed. So who changed? I did. And thereby, by me changing, my dad changed. So what are the steps I need to take to still be able to honor my parents if they have abused me in any way? We forgive them. We forgive them even if they never apologize for the harm they have done in your life. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting what has been done to you, but we forgive because we have been forgiven for so much in our lives. So let's look up, I need two people to look up Luke 23, 34, and another one to look up Acts 7, 60. Acts 7, 60. Luke 23, 34, and Acts 7, 60. Okay, you want to read that for us? Yep, Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothing by casting lots. Okay. Does someone have Acts 7.60? Oh, it's so hard to choose between you two. Um, Christian, go ahead. Okay, the second verse was about when Stephen was getting stoned. And he just, he just said, Father, forgive him. Forgive him. And that's what Jesus said. Read that one more time, uh, Ben. Do you still have it? Luke 23, 34. In all reality, a lot of our parents, they don't know. Meaning, they are only modeling what they learned, and they don't understand what they're doing to you. I hope that if this is something where you have been hurt by something that your parent has done, you know, one of the things I did for my dad, and I'll, 
I guess I'll, I'll share this story. I wasn't planning it, but and I, if you Google my name and put in promise, promises kept, you'll see a story that has been published, and I don't know how many books about this, but when I was 16 years old, my dad um, and my mom, for the only, I, I can count on one hand the times that I ever saw my parents fight. My parents did not fight. They really had a really good marriage and they loved each other very much so. It was my dad fighting with, <laughs> with all, all of us kids every once in a while is what happened, but those two got along really well. But when I was 16, all of a sudden, I noticed my dad and my mom, there was something not right. And my mom sat me down and I, I was, so my brother, I would have been a sophomore in high school and my brother was a junior, and my other siblings were out of school already. And my mom set me down, and she said, oh, we're going to split up. Your dad's moving out. And it affected me so much because I, by then, had a good relationship with my dad, and I loved my dad. So I wrote him a letter, and I wrote him from my heart what I thought. And I slipped it in to my dad's, luggage that he left with. A week later, my mom sat me down again and she said, your dad came by today. And he said that he read the letter that you had written him and, and uh, it made him cry. And she said, and I've only seen your dad cry like twice in my whole life. And she said, what did you write to him? And I couldn't explain it to her because that was a letter between my dad and I. And, uh, but she said that he's coming home. And my parents went on to have a really good marriage for 36 years before my dad passed away prematurely. And I say that to you is because sometimes our parents don't understand what they're doing to us, and we need to talk to them about that. And when my dad died, um, oh, and I had sent him a letter, and then I put a picture of me in it. And uh, when my dad died, we were going through his stuff, and in his wallet, he had kept that letter and uh, the picture in his wallet the rest of his life. Um, so your words do matter to your parents. And... Uh, Sometimes we just need to learn how to forgive them for what they've done. And, uh, and sometimes they don't understand. B, how can we honor our parents even if they've abused us? We don't speak ill of them all over town. Mike and I had a situation when we got married with my in-laws. And it was, ended up to be a very bad situation. But one of the things I always decided I would never do, and that is I had submitted myself to our church leadership under our pastor, and he worked on anything that he felt like I needed to work on. And as far as what they needed to work on, I didn't feel like I needed to go tell a bunch of people about there were times when I was around people that I knew that they may believe what was being said of me or my husband, and I, I didn't say anything. Because I figured, like the verse says in the Bible, is that, um, what is the verse I'm thinking of, Mike, in my head? Of that, uh, I, I just, my brain just left. What verse am I thinking of? Exactly. I, I'm probably just thinking of is that is that to live at peace as far as it is with you with everyone. You just you're at peace. You don't feel like you have to prove anything. You're at peace. And number C, be willing to provide for them in their old age. Keep your heart tender towards this possibility. This is honoring your heavenly Father, and for anyone, do it for Him. And I say that because I work with the elderly 
I'm at many nursing homes all over the place in Rock County, and one of the saddest things to me is seeing a lot of elderly that their grown adult children are horrible to them. They talk mean to them. They're disrespectful to them. Um, they don't go and visit them. And it just absolutely hurts my heart. And I can honestly, before God, say to you guys that regardless of how anyone would treat me, if I knew an elderly person, even if they had been mean to me, and I knew that they needed someone to just visit with them and love on them, I would do it. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's not because of, of me. It's because of who God is. And we do things as Christians to provide and love on our older parents because that's what God wants us to do. And we're honoring him by doing that. Okay, um, we're about ready to, there's a couple really cool um, clips that I want to show you. Um, the first is a song. Well, it's, a, it's talking about a song and that I found. And I just really, when, we, when Mike asked, when we just all as youth leaders talked about who wanted to do what commandment, and I thought, you know, I feel like I can do honoring your mom and dad justice. And the reason why I feel like I could do that is because I feel like God's works worked enough in my heart to be able to love and honor my parents and even my in-laws. And um, I say this because forgiveness was really a big word that I felt like needed to be talked about with honoring our parents because all of us are going to have things that we're going to have to forgive our parents for when we get older because we don't have perfect parents. I'm not a perfect parent. I know there are going to be things that my kids are going to come back to me and say, man, Mom, I wish you wouldn't have done that. And, and I can say, I'm sorry. I wish I wouldn't have done that also. So some of you may be saying in your head, uh, you don't know how to forgive because it's really hard. Um, so I'm going to end with one more little story. So Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, my favorite hero in the faith. My second favorite hero in the faith is Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was my age during World War II, and her family decided that they, would, they lived among Jewish people, and they were their friends and their neighbors for years. And so they harbored Jewish people and helped many of them in, in Holland to get out. And her and her sister and her father um, got betrayed. And her sister, her dad died in, in uh, the jail in Holland a few days later and her and her sister went to a concentration camp. And there experienced tons of abuse and and um, one of the stories Corrie Boom talks about was one of the brutal Nazis who was one of their guards, guards thank you, in a concentration camp. And she says that uh, he, like, her, they had to strip down in front of this guard, and he was just a brutal man. Her sister died in the concentration camp, and after Corey got out, she went all over the world and spoke about God's forgiveness all over the world. And she used to say to God, don't, I don't ever want to go back to Germany. I'll go anywhere, but I don't want to go to Germany. And God had her go to Germany. And she thought she had a good handle on forgiving people until one night a man came up to her and he said, I've given my life to the Lord and, and I want to ask for forgiveness and, and uh, do you remember me? And will you forgive me? And he put his hand out and it was that prison guard. And she said at that moment, even though she'd walked 
and gone all over the world talking to people about forgiveness, she couldn't forgive him. And so she paused. And then what she said was, it's because she couldn't forgive him. But when she said, God, right then and there, she said, God, help me to forgive him. And right then and there, she was able to extend her hand to that man who was brutal during World War II to her and, and forgive. And that is what God calls us to do for one another, is to forgive even if forgiveness is never asked for. Real quick. Lord, I just want to thank you so much uh, for this time and just uh, giving me the opportunity just to talk to each person here, Father, about um, our relationship with our parents and what honoring looks like and what honoring doesn't. And Father, I know that when we have you as our Savior, that you are the one that um, helps us just to be able to see our parents through your eyes and to love them with a love that comes from you. And Father, we just uh, thank you so much um, and pray, Father, for for those who may have been hurt by their parents. And Father, we just pray that you would help them to end the cycle. And Lord, that you would give them a legacy of hope and love with their own kids. And Father, that you would just um, be with each and every one of them and help them to, to know and for us to know how to honor and, and, and love our parents through you. And we thank you so much for you, Lord, and your work in our lives. In dealer Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, that is it from us here at The Christian Artist. Thank you so very much for listening, and we'll be back later this week with another bonus episode. Be on the lookout. See ya.